we're talking about might and strength that comes from us or for us from Jesus and his shed blood. But as you're turning to Exodus chapter two, I'm going to read some scriptures that we've been looking at. Philippians two, five says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. And I just want to pause there for a moment because he took the initiative to humble himself. If you want there to be greatness in your life, you have to take the initiative to humble yourself. Otherwise, he will have to humble you and that's not good. The scripture encourages us to humble ourselves and then he'll take care of the rest. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And then out of Revelation 5, 11 and 12, this is what we've been honing in on. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so we've looked at might and strength that comes from the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ when he took the stripes on his back that bring us healing. And um, the back represents strength. And so we find our strength from that. First Peter chapter two, I want to read this. First Peter two, twenty one says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself. To him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And Peter is quoting out of Isaiah. And Isaiah is painting the picture of the cross and and all that Jesus was going to go through to the point where it says that really even before he got to the cross, that human, his human form didn't even look like a man. It was so beaten, so humiliated. And so this is the background that Peter's encouraging the church with. And so in Exodus chapter 2, we have... You know, we're, we've been looking at the Passover and that's the exodus that took place. And, but God says some things in Exodus chapter 2 that I want to just 
call our attention to. Verse 23 says, Exodus 2.23 During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Isn't that awesome? He saw the people of Israel and God knew. So what happens when He looks down at our life? What happens when He sees what we're going through? Do you think He wonders? Do you think He's caught off guard? Do you, do you, are you not sure whether He knows? But I want you to know that He knows. He knows. God knew. And so whatever you're going through doesn't catch Him off guard. But then we have to ask the question, what did God know? And He knew at least two things concerning this. Number one, He knew their suffering. He knew their suffering. The second thing that He knew is His covenant that He made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It says that He remembered it. So He knew about His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, when we think about this, we have to think about, well, what does God know about our life? And God was looking back at the covenant that He made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what about the covenant now that He's made with Jesus? And the fulfillment of that covenant that they have together. What does that mean for us? Woo! And so in Exodus chapter 2, we have this God telling us what He knows and hearing the cries of the Israelites. And so we have the story of the burning bush that Moses turns to see what's going on with the burning bush. Now, they were in the wilderness, but a burning bush is not new in the wilderness. Moses would have seen that before, but there was something different about this burning bush. It wasn't consumed. The bush wasn't consumed. So Moses, it says in Exodus chapter 3 that he turned to the bush to see. And so that finds us in Exodus chapter 3, please. Exodus chapter 3. Verse 7. And this is God responding to Moses turning. Okay? Exodus 3, 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the places of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and these otherites. Verse 9. 
And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, when we look at this, I want us to see a few things as we progress. The one thing that I want us to see is they were living in a place that was not their own. And as they were living in that place, at first it was okay, but then it became a place of bondage. It became a place of hardship and difficulty and struggles to them. And they were not in their own place. And I just want to ask you, are you in your real place? No, we're just sojourners here. We're just passing through. And yet, as we're living in this, we're bombarded with all this stuff from the world. But I want you to know that just as God saw them, He sees us as well. They were brutally beaten, and yet they managed to continue to grow in numbers. And that fascinates me. In all the struggles that they had, they were small in number when they came, but they were great numbers when they left. And we're talking some one to three million people. And yet the king, the pharaoh had, I think this was the fourth pharaoh after they got there, and he had forgotten all about what God had done through, the, through Joseph and the Israelites. And so now he's turning against them because he's fearful that they're becoming so large that they're going to overtake them. <clears throat> so they were slaves in a land that was growing stronger and stronger, and yet they were facing overwhelming pressure. But God remembered. And I believe that this is true for us, that God is going to remember. God remembers His covenant. And I'm glad that He can remember the covenant that He made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I love the covenant that He made with Jesus better. Because Jesus shed his blood and it's over. We have that strength now. And so I just want to encourage you and remind you that if God saw the Israelites' mistreat, mistreatments, he heard their cries, then he's going to see and hear our cries as well. He's going to understand the struggles that we're going through. He's going to hear our cries. He's going to hear our prayers. Before we go on, I just want to remind you of Psalm 105, verse 37. And this is, as he brought him out, it says, Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. And then... The same psalm in the New King James Version reads like this. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. And I so love that. Because that means from the youngest to the oldest, that there was no sickness among them. That whatever hardships, whatever struggles that they had, whatever beatings that they endured, that when they came out, God had touched their lives so well that they didn't stumble. That there was none feeble among them. That's amazing to me. Not one. 
That means if you were 90 years old, you were walking around like you were 16. That's going to be a great day when that happens for us. First Peter chapter one. We read this last week, but I just want to refresh you with it. First Peter chapter one, verse one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And I bring this up because I want to remind you that Peter is writing this letter, but he's writing this letter to those who are experiencing to a certain measure what the Israelites experienced when they were in Egypt. They were experiencing beatings. Um, people taking their possessions, their homes. They were experiencing not being able to have their own business and they were having to have to be scattered. They were having to do things in secret. And so he's writing these words and he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so I want you to know that He can do that for us as well. And I bring all this up because I want us to understand that God has a plan. No matter what we're going through, we have to understand that God has a plan. And He sees what is going on in our lives. And if He helped the Israelites, and if He helped the early church, then He's going to help us as well. Back with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read all of this and I'm going to go a little bit before and we'll see this. But starting in verse 13 this time. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. And that was brought up here today, wasn't it? Do you know who you are? Do you know what the will of God is for your life? Well, here's part of it. Verse 15 for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? All you have to do to shut them up is just continue to do good. Continue to do good. Verse 16, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But living as servants of God. And as servants of God. This is what he says in verse 17. Honor everyone. <laughs> Isn't that great? Now they're, they're being beaten. 
they're being persecuted. And it's so severe that they're scattering. And Peter has the audacity to tell them, honor everyone. What would happen if we went to work and we did that? Instead of having an attitude against our boss or the people that we work with. And we just get so frustrated with them that we just want to write them off. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then he gets into specifics with servants. He says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. In other words, the ones who don't like you, the ones who come against you because of your faith. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures. So I guess enduring is a choice, right? Because we're all going to face this, but are, how are we going to face it? Are we going to be able to endure it? Are we going to be able to withstand the pressure, the difficulties? Being mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You know, it's amazing to me how much in the church everything is about us. And it's about our comfort level. Level. I mean, I think Peter's trying to wake us up from that. But in case you didn't get it in verse 19, here's verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. He says, if you'll do that, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. So in other words, he's saying this is what God wants out of your life. That when you face hardships, when you face difficulties, when people come against you, when they mistreat you and they do all kind of manner of evil against you, how are you going to respond? And can I just give you a word of encouragement? This church in the United States, we don't know what persecution is yet. You know, some of the things we think are persecution is not persecution. It's selfishness. You get bent out of shape because you didn't get your way. You know, you think persecution is is when the worship team didn't sing your song. That's not persecution. Verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. And I just want to ask you a question. 
How are you responding? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When you're reviled, do you revile in return? When he suffered, he did not threaten. And how is it that's usually the first thing that comes out of our mouth as soon as something doesn't go our way? And we think we're suffering. Well, I'll get them back. Oh, really? So how do we apply this truth? And I want you to think about this because this was brought to my attention even last week and it just, it really spoke to me. We have the example of Jesus Christ. This is what He did. And we're to draw from Him might and strength. But do we understand how hard it must have been for Jesus to take everything that He took, to endure everything that He endured, and not say anything? Think about that. To suffer like He suffered. To, to know who He was. And to be able to deal with things in a different manner. And yet it says that He opened not His mouth. He didn't revile in return. He didn't threaten in return. But it says that He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. And I think, how hard would that have been for him? And I think to myself, how hard would that have been for me? All the beatings he received, all the flocking, the crown of thorns that were put on him, the spitting, the pulling out of his beard. And that may be reason why I'm not growing one because I don't want that potential to happen to me. I can't imagine him staying quiet while he's facing all of this. Stripping him of his humanity. I mean, and quite honestly, if you read and study this, you'll find he wasn't even naked. He was beyond naked. He was, every part of his being was open. He was humiliated in all of this. And he opened not his mouth. And, and to think about all of this, he wasn't even nailed to the cross yet. They still had to put the nails in him. They still had to lift it up. So let me remind you of verse 23, what Peter says about Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And this is what Peter is telling the church. This is how you need to respond to the things that you're going through, to the persecution that you're going through, through the loss that you're going through. You know, think of the children that, you know, they're walking with God and then all of a sudden their parents or their father is, is killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter is telling them, look, 
Look to Jesus. Not only was Jesus humiliated openly, but he was betrayed openly as well. They made fun of him. You think you're the Christ. You think you're king of the Jews. Then prove yourself. Prove it. How hard and how much trust did Jesus have in the Father to be able to endure this and to remain silent, to take all that he took and to remain silent, trusting in God. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, please. This study has caused my life to be wrecked. When you understand all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And then as we read this, to know that He's our example that we're to follow after. You know, I'm not facing nearly what He faced and sometimes it's hard for me to remain silent. And then when we are struggling, when we are going through difficulties, are we going to stay true and, and trust Him? And remember, Peter's not talking about suffering because you've sinned, because you've done wrong. He's talking about suffering because you're doing right. You're following after God. You're walking with Christ. You're becoming more and more like Him. He, he's not talking about, you know, when, you, when you're purposefully sinning. He's reminding us to endure hardships, endure the sufferings. Like Christ, as we're becoming more and more like Christ. Living in righteousness righteousness and not in the ways of the world. So in Matthew chapter 5, as I'm processing all of this, I'm thinking about the Beatitudes. And, you know, we look at the Beatitudes as if they're so wonderful, but you put it in context of what we're just reading in First Peter and, and what we know of how they beat him. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10, says this, Now, I know we've read this before, but just see if it speaks to you today. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that what Peter was saying? That's exactly what Peter was saying. He's reminding us, you can look to Jesus because Jesus told us to do this. He walked this out and He's left you an example. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
you see, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that Peter is remembering all of this as he's thinking about how do I encourage the church who's struggling, who's going through difficult times, who's being persecuted. Oh, wait a minute. This is what Jesus said. And then this is what Jesus did. So let me just stir that up among you. Let me remind you of it. This is the example that he left for us. There is strength that comes from walking with Jesus. Whew. Skip down with me to verse 38, Matthew 5.38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you, on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You see, Jesus lived this. He said, hey, this is a new way of living. But then He modeled it for us. Can we trust God and remain silent and not take on revenge? You know, how many times? You wait, I'll get you. Oh, really? Okay. Jesus did this and this is what He modeled for us. This is the standard that God is calling us to. And it's impossible on our own. It's only possible as we grow in our relationship, in our faith, and as we become more and more like Christ. Matthew 5.43 Matthew 5.43 You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why do this? Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Like Father, like Son. That's what God is after in our lives. And He's telling us how to respond to those people who are going to come against you. Rather than trying to seek revenge on them. Rather than trying to make everything right for us. While we're angry with them. And while we're trying to plot in our own minds schemes that we can bring them down with. Rather than doing that. He says. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute. 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, that's becoming like Christ. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And here's the clincher, verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? It seems to me as if we have become more concerned with our comfort than we have with becoming more and more like Christ. We have the power in us to be changed, but we will give ourselves to Him. Jesus' life, His lifestyle, including the days when He was beaten before the cross and the cross, all of this needs to be our focus. It needs to be the backdrop of our life. That before we respond, before we make decisions, that we think about what has God done for me through Jesus Christ? What example am I going to follow after? That needs to be, the life of Jesus needs to be what our focus is, what our backdrop is, so that we can become like Him. Because the world needs to know that. And so I want to encourage you that no matter what you're going through, if we will turn to the Lord, we will find strength to make it. We will have might to overcome. We will know that no matter what, we make it because of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ from His back. Turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you will, please. We're going to close with this. I just love the way Peter has laid all this out. Peter gives them this instruction about how to submit and the need to submit. He tells us of the example of Jesus Christ. And this is in the midst of their suffering, their difficulties, their persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, he says this, because we were reading the end of chapter 2, but this is what he says in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This just totally amazes me as I'm working through this message, these messages and, and this process and realizing. I, I used to read this and I would rejoice and there are songs written over there. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And all that sounds great. And Peter's reminding them of that, but then he's also reminding them, look, if you're suffering, this is what it's going to be about. You are these things. Peter is reminding him, you are this. You are that royal priesthood. You are that chosen race. This is who you are. And don't forget it when you encounter troubles. Remember he started off the, the book reminding them or letting them know you're elect exiles. Elect exiles. I mean, just let that sink in. Ponder it this week. I mean, it's one thing to be in exile, but he says that you're elect. You're elected by God. Why? Because if Christ is in you, then greater is He that is in you than he who is in the world. And if you're suffering for a little time, great. Remember Jesus. Remember He suffered for you as well. Let me start in verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then it continues in verse 11. Ooh. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Isn't that amazing how Peter writes all of this, and then he says, and when you suffer, remember Jesus. Remember the example that He has set before you. Yeah, you're the chosen race. You're the royal priesthood. Yeah, you're set apart for Him. And remember that when you're suffering. And you'll have the might. You'll have the strength to get through it. Stand with me if you will, please. I think our form of Christianity is so warped in America. 
I'm not sure that it's completely biblically based all the time. Because what's one of the first things that happens to us when we face struggles and difficulties? We usually cry out complaining. And speaking from experience, it's like, God, I thought you loved me. And he says, yeah, I do. Well, God, if you love me so much, how come all of this is happening to me? Well, because I love you. But God, that doesn't make sense. And Peter's saying, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, nation, a people for his very own possession. In other words, he's trying to get them to see he loves you. So quit trying to complain about the things that you're going through. Remember that he already loves you and he's working something greater in you. For that day of visitation, so keep doing good. Keep pressing into Him. Whew. You know, it's amazing to me. I shared part of this last week, and you know about might and strength, healing and everything. Monday night, I come home from work and I have a fever, and I'm like feeling terrible. And Tuesday night, I'm planning on going to a basketball game so I can see some people win. And I can't go to the basketball game because it's like, I am exhausted. Don't go to work on Tuesday. Don't go to work on Wednesday. Go to work half a day on Thursday. Full day on Friday. Yesterday morning, I'm thinking, oh, this is much better. No, it's not. It wasn't much better yesterday. But you know what I remember? God knows. God knows. Exodus chapter 2. God knows. And I say that because whenever you attempt to do things for God, the enemy is always going to come against you. You can just count on it. But it's in the continuing it's in the enduring. It's in the when you keep on doing what you know that you're supposed to do. You keep on doing good. When you're being persecuted and everything that goes with it, you still remain good. You still have the right mindset. That's what it's about. That's when we become more and more like Christ. We're not becoming more and more like Christ when we give up, when we start complaining. We become more and more like Christ when we press in to all that God has for us. All right, let's pray. You still have time. Super Bowl isn't until later. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all that you've done in this place. Thank you for the words that were spoken, the encouragement. Thank you for what we have to look forward to at the end of this month at the conference. Lord, we're thankful. Lord, we, we thank you that 
You've called us out of darkness. We're your very own. We may not have known who we were, but now we know that we belong to you. We're loved by you. You're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. And Father, I pray that as we see the words of Peter reminding us of the example that Jesus set for us. Father, when we face those hard times, when we face the persecution, may we remember Jesus. May we remember all that He went through for us. And may we have the strength and the might to continue to endure as we become more and more like Jesus. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.